you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great tasting, all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to symbionica.com. C Y M B I O. T-I-K-A.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a very special episode of Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky with you. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good, DJ. I'm glad that we're having an opportunity to do a crossover podcast. Uh, you know, both of us love baseball, and so to have an opportunity to pick uh, some of the bright minds in that sport, it was a lot of fun for us. Yeah, all the teams have reported for spring training right now. I know we're headed towards the NFL scouting combine, but uh, we wanted to give you guys uh, a chance to just take a little pause from that as we gear up towards the draft. And uh, and let's just enjoy a little crossover, uh, move the sticks up. So we've done this in the past, but the winter meetings were in San Diego this year. Bucky and I had a chance to go down there and visit with some interesting folks in the sport of baseball to see what we could learn and take away that could help us as we're constantly trying to figure out the best way to build a football team. So uh, in this episode today, you're going to hear interviews with Padres general manager, AJ Preller. You're going to hear interview with White Sox senior vice president, 
uh, and general manager Rick Hahn. Uh, you're also going to hear from Harold Reynolds and Tom Verducci, as well as Brian Kenny, three uh, absolute studs there from MLB Network uh, with some fascinating insight into the crossover and what we can learn from baseball and apply it to football. Uh, let's not waste any time, Buck. Let's get right to this first conversation. This is our chat with the Padres president of baseball operations and general manager, A.J. Preller. All right, Buck, excited to have A.J. Preller with us. A.J., appreciate you taking some time for us today, man. First of all, uh, just how crazy is, is, is a baseball offseason? We kind of have a feel on the football offseason, but it feels like you guys, it's long and there's a lot of different aspects to it. Yeah, no, I think that's one of the one of the biggest changes of the last few years is just the, uh, you know, it used to be kind of, you know, use November to kind of get set for the offseason. Then a lot would happen in the, in the first week of December at the winter meetings in the last few offseasons. Uh, you know, it's, it's gotten a little bit longer into times into January, even February on some of the free agent pursuits. But, um, you know, it's like anything else. You're talking about baseball all the time. It's it's fun. It's, you know, ultimately, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, you kind of use the November period, general managers meetings, et cetera, to, to you know, to kind of see what's out there. And then uh, here at the winter meetings, hopefully try to line up on some things. So it's funny. So being a, a scout, um, during the fall, the team is playing. We're out on the road looking for prospects. How do you juggle that part of the evaluation process while also overseeing what the team is doing currently? I mean, everybody does it different. I mean, my 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 background, you know, I, was, I came out from again like scouting, you know, and I you know scouting and player development. So I still see a lot of players on the road from an amateur standpoint. Um, but you know, so you're again, you 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 want to have presence with the big league team and be around. But uh, you know, also 162 games. Sometimes when you get too close all the time, every single day. And that could be a negative. And I think, you know, ability to go out, see amateur players, I think gives you some perspective. And, uh, you know, from my standpoint, I like to balance both and, and see both, you know, other, other, you know, I think other, other groups are, you know, pretty much focused on the major league team. And, um, but from my deal, I'm able to see both. And again, especially with the, with the phone, you're, you know, you're able to, you're able to do your job pretty much anywhere these days. We love talking about just the scouting side of things and the background of things from a development standpoint, what, what are some of the, uh, the new developments, what's kind of new school and just the development side of baseball, maybe in the last five, 10 years, as you've seen it evolve and grow. Yeah. I just, I just think like the use, the use of technology and you really see it with, with, uh, you know, just with players, especially young players, like, you know, uh, like training and, and practicing and the, the way they, they, you know, the, the, the way they, I think like, you know, uh, analyze themselves, the information they have, whether that's, you know, TrackMan, Rapsodo, you know, uh, you know, velocity machines, eye track, all different, like, you know, the training tools that people are using right now. And the players are well versed in it. You know, they know who else it's not just spin rate. They know, you know, you know, run horizontal ride. And, you know, a lot of times guys will throw a pitch and, you know, they, you know for a bullpen setting, for example, you know, you'll have the high speed camera, the edutronic camera, and then you'll have, uh, you know, some type of, some type of pitch metric and, and pitch to pitch, you know, the pitcher's looking back and, you know, it's not, hey, did that ball cut or that ball move? It's, hey, that ball had, you know, 19 inches, you know, and, and, and these guys, they speak in, in that in that kind of in those terms. And I, at the end of the day, I think, honestly, like, you know, for the most part, though, like what is we don't talk, you know, old school, new school. It's just like good school, you yeah. know, and, and, and honestly, a lot of the things that uh, maybe there's some different ways to quantify that, you know, what you're seeing, what you're feeling and what you know. Um, but, you know, what, what leads to winning baseball players and in, in, in games. Um, it's pretty, my guess has been similar for the last, you know, 50 plus years, honestly. I'm glad you brought up old school and new school because in football, old school scouting consisted of looking at a player's background and seeing what sports that they play and trying to determine how those sports at lower levels will help them be a better football player. When you guys look at baseball players, 
How much is the multi-sport player involved in the evaluation? How much do you encourage guys to play other sports outside of baseball coming up? Yeah, I mean, I think athleticism is huge and just in general in any sport. I think, you know, the ease of operation, how well you're able to, you know, to to do anything. I think uh, especially over the course of, you know, a long period of time and when you're trying to do it that high, high level. Um, it's been one of the bigger changes, though, from a scouting standpoint over the last 10 years. It used to be, you know, you go out and pretty much everybody was, all right, I play football or I play, you know, I'm a quarterback or, I, you know, I'm an elite you know, basketball player. It's very rare now, honestly, to go out. And, you know, there's so much specialization. I think, uh, you know, most kids, yeah, I played football in seventh and I quit in eighth grade or I quit in ninth grade. Were you good? Yeah, I was good. But everybody's focusing on, you know, one sport, it feels like, you know, throughout the country. And I think people feel like, you know, if, uh, if, if you don't do that, maybe you fall behind or guys getting together, you know, other, 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 other kids are getting ahead of them. So it's, uh, it's more and more rare, honestly, to get to go in and scout, you know, baseball players right now that are, that are playing other sports. I think it's probably like that throughout the country in all sports, honestly. Question to follow up on that. Is, is that something that's coming from MLB baseball specializes that just at the lower level, people just decided that specialization is the way to get to where you want to get to. Yeah, I think it feels like it's definitely not a major league baseball thing. I think every organization's got their own probably philosophy and thoughts. I think for us, like we're always excited by seeing guys that are playing other sports and well, just having fun and doing other things. I think everybody that grew up playing two or three sports, you, you know, you kind of like one putting down, you know, the, the basketball or the football for a period of time and doing something else can, you know, it helped, you know, honestly. And I think, um, you know, I think for the most part, it feels like it's coming from, you know, like from youth sports and, yeah. you know, up into high school where, you you know, there's, I don't know about pressure, but guys want to get scholarships or they want to get seen. And the way to do it is to practice and play. And, you know, I think uh, you see it really like, you know, you go to see tournaments now and, you know, and, and you know, in basketball, they're playing 10 tournament games and, you know, in, in one afternoon and, you know, that just, that just wasn't really part of it. But, you know, a lot of, again, like people, I think they feel like in you know, general, the way to get better is to, is to focus on one sport and, you know, that's uh, that, that's kind of feels like that's that's the way way that, you know, the way of the game right now. When we've self scouted and look guys you miss over the years going back a long time. A lot of times it's just the adversity aspect of it. Guys in the football side come up. They don't have as much adversity at the college level. They're going to get introduced to it at the professional level and they really struggle. I can't imagine when you're evaluating high school kids for the draft and they're the best kid in their in their league, in their city, you know, and they haven't had any adversity. How in the world do you go about trying to navigate around how these kids are going to be able to handle that once it inevitably comes? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a huge part of it for us is like honestly trying to get trying to get that sense from a makeup standpoint about, you know, whether it's, you know, their aptitude or how they're going to handle different situations, et cetera. I think it's probably you, you always feel like, you know, maybe hey, it might be easier in a different sport and it's just hard to do something successfully in any in any arena, any walk of life. But the baseball side that's hard is, again, you're trying to evaluate high school players international players at you know 14 15 16 years old trying to project what they're going to be at you know seven eight you know three four five years down the road but on top of it it's not like you're seeing these guys like on the same arena where they're all in in a division one program or in the sec or you know in the in the pack or whatever you know at the end of the day you're seeing a kid facing you know 68 mile an hour pitching and you know <laughs> in, in in the you know in nevada and trying to say hey in two weeks when he's in professional baseball and he's seeing nothing but 95 plus every day how is he going to handle that you know mm -hmm. and that's that's part of the challenge from from baseball scouting. I think the good ones can see swings and, and tools and mechanics, but then can also read people, you know, and, and understand people from a, from a makeup standpoint, and also understand like, hey, who has the ability to grow and learn and and, and adapt. And I think part of that's a skill standpoint, part of that's a mental standpoint. And I think that's that's a big part of what we talk about on the scouting side. I want to follow up on that? How about psychological testing? When I believe it's the S two test is 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 kind of made its way through football. I think baseball was ahead on that in terms of psychological part of it in terms of processing how quick you can process information 
How critical is that on the baseball scouting side of things? And, you know, are there some teams that are more heavily in, in, into that while others are a little bit maybe more traditional? Yeah, everybody's got their own their own feel on that. So like the S2 testing or, you know, is it people having, you know, different different sports psychs or, you know, the ability to, you know, reaction time testing, all different things. Again, I think it's, it's what you value, what you believe in. I think, um, you know, from our standpoint, you know, you want information, uh, but you got to be able to know how to use that information to handle that. I think we've all been around... You know, situations too where, you know, the guy doesn't do well on a test and then can really go play, you know, and, and, and try to learn from that and figure out why that is the case. You know, DJ and I are always fascinated about team building, whether it's whatever sport, football, baseball, basketball. One of the things that we've noticed, particularly with the projects, you guys sign your guys real early and extend them out, maybe even before they realize their full potential. What goes into making that kind of decision when to ink your guy to a long term deal? Yeah, I mean, again, I think, you know, for the most part, each situation is a little bit different. Um, but I think, you know, probably the biggest thing is, is knowing is knowing the player, knowing the guy well. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, again, I, I think from from our standpoint, if you feel like you have the right the right person and, you know, from a, from a, from a skill standpoint and a makeup standpoint, then I think, you know, you want to have, you know, you want to have people that, that you can grow with and be with. And I think there's value and flexibility in a shorter term deal at times, but there's also, uh, you know, a lot of value in the right players to have them for, you know, where you know that for the next seven or eight years, when you come to the ballpark, when you're looking to build a team, you have player X, Y, or Z on your club. And, you know, we kind of factor all that in when we make decisions. How about windows? Another thing that we talk a lot about, a great example would be the Stafford trade. Okay. That's obviously, you know, he's the best quarterback option for the Detroit Lions at that point in time, but they're not in their window. And by the time they get enough players to put around Stafford, Stafford's not going to be in his window. How important is that in baseball to know, okay, this is our go for it window that we're in right now uh, versus some other teams that, that know this nucleus, this group's not good enough right now. And we got to push for a different window. No, it's, I think it's, it's important in any sport, any, you know, probably any, any, like in any business or whatever is kind of figuring out, Hey, what, what's your game plan? What are you trying to do? And when's the right time to do that? So I think for us with the Padres, you know, 2016 to 2020, our focus, it, it's always on like the amateur scouting side. Honestly, it has to be, that's your pipeline. But, you know, obviously, like for us, it was we gave we had the opportunity at the big league level, maybe try some different guys, get some guys from a rule five standpoint, a six year free standpoint, try some, you know, some 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 players and, you know, at the big league level that uh, that may get opportunity. But we knew our, our main focus was, you know, maybe guys that weren't in San Diego at the time. They were guys that were out somewhere in the country or, in, you know, somewhere outside of the country that were going to be part of the championship, you know, Padre teams. And then when is the right time to go in? Obviously, you know, like you have to have a feel for that, like from a, from a, you know, from a, from a competitive balance cycle, you know, period and when, when's the right time to go. And yeah, I think that's, that's constantly what we're trying to evaluate. DJ and I come from teams where when you're building your team from scratch, you look at the top team in the division, you want to make sure that you can build a team to beat the bully in the division because that ensures you get into the playoffs, you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. When you're building your team from scratch, do you look at the top team in the division and kind of use them as a gauge or do you build them with kind of the perfect team in mind that's going to win over time? Yeah, I think for the most part, it's about like, you know, what, what's championship level standards. So for us, we talk about, you know, the big stage and that's the World Series and a team that, you know, can beat, can beat anybody at any time and what that looks like. And, you know, our division in the, in the NOS, a very competitive division, obviously, you know, Dodgers set, set a high bar. Uh, the Giants, you know, winning 108 games or whatever it was a couple of years ago and, and the Diamondbacks and Rockies being very competitive. So I, I think you, you want to, you know, at least factor in, hey, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, where you're playing at left hand, right hand split, some, you know, some of the team that's strong in a certain area. But in general, for us, we're looking more at like what should play, you know, big picture, long term, what, what looks like it'll play, you know, as, as far as putting a championship type team on the field. And that's, 
I think more, uh, you know, more, more, more general base and just specific about a team in your division. Last one for me, and we'll let you run. Appreciate your time, but I know with where your other stops, you've had postseason experience going all the way into the World Series. We talk about it a lot with you know regular season windows and postseason windows in terms of throwing the ball. Everything just shrinks. The field shrinks. It's a, it's almost a little bit of a different game when you get in the postseason. You see the same thing with guys where you can look at a player and say, man, this is a one sixty two player, but once we get into the tournament. Maybe that skill set doesn't translate quite as well. Yeah, I think for sure. You know, I think that's what you're talking about championship level players and guys that, that play, you know, October at bats, October pitchers, guys that control the zone, guys that can handle good pitching. Uh, that's a huge part of it. Like we don't we don't really feel like the the postseason is a, you know, sometimes you see you have some people say it's a total crapshoot and like you know, I don't think that's the case. There's, there's luck involved in, in any, you know, in any like, you know, in any any pro sport or, you know, in any kind of, you know, postseason run or anything like that. But for the most part, guys that have the mental, you know, have the, have the have the mental makeup, have this, and then have a skill set that can play at the highest level. There's reasons why certain players, as the game gets better, as it gets faster, as it gets harder, they get better with it. And trying to find, you know, and trying to find out value who those guys are, we put a lot of time and effort into. No, this has been great, AJ. Appreciate your time and best of luck as you put the rest of this roster together. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Well, Buck, I thought it was uh, it was pretty interesting there, especially as he, he finished up there talking about building your team for the division. You know, that's uh, it's something I think that that conversation takes place in every draft room uh, in any sport that you might be in. You have to because it's, it's the way that you guarantee yourself getting a lottery ticket to get into the tournament. You win your division, you automatically end the postseason. So, yes, you want to make sure that your team can win the division. And even though you want to have enough perspective to see what else is out there, you got to make sure that you take care of your own business when it comes to your division. Yeah, and there are certain terms in baseball I think we should use more in football when we say this is a championship player. This is a championship-level player. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's the best player at his position, but we can win a championship with this player playing this position. Yeah, I mean, we always talk about the standard, and the standard is you want to put your team in a position to always be in the conversation to win the title. And so the only way you can do that is to build a roster that has those traits and characteristics individually and collectively. All right, let's get to our next chat here. This is uh, our our visit that we had with White Sox Senior Vice President and General Manager, Rick Hahn. All right, Buck, excited to have Rick Hahn with us. Rick, thank you so much for taking the time for us today. We were just talking off air. How many years have you been doing this now, and how has this event changed over the years? Oh, boy, this is my 23rd season with the White Sox, uh, and 11th is GM, I believe. This event... It still has the same fever pitch, the same excitement, the same energy. But given sort of the advent of text and the fact that we're all in contact with each other constantly, I feel like there's a little less of the urgency that used to exist when guys would get together and do deals over, you know, napkins in the bar. Yeah, you haven't like you haven't communicated or seen each other. And all of a sudden we we finally get a chance to get together. But all that stuff's taking place fluidly, all it sounds the, like. Exactly. It's been going on for weeks. I mean, the great story going back, you know, obviously way before my time, back when Bill Veck and Roland Heeman ran the White Sox, like they'd set up shop in the lobby with a little sign saying the White Sox are open for business <laughs> and like would conduct their trade talks and their business right there and in front of everyone. Uh, obviously, the world's changed a lot since then, but it, it's still exciting to be here. It's just... Uh, deals can get done last week just as easily as they get done here or next week. You know, how much has the team building process changed over your time throughout the league? Like, is it about building your team to win a division? Is it about 
looking for that ideal championship team? How do you guys go about it? We always sort of aim, obviously, to win a championship. The only, don't, and the only championship they're giving away this year is this year's championship. So mm-hmm. it's a focus of putting ourselves in the best position to win now. Now, I will say getting into the postseason is the key. Obviously, the cleanest path for that is winning your division. So when we go about team building, initially, it's are we, do we have enough to, theor- to conceivably win this division and get into the dance? You saw last year a fantastic team like the Dodgers, the Mets in the National League. Both of them got bounced out in their first round of appearances. Uh, so the playoffs can still be a crapshoot. Two years ago, Atlanta was the three seed. They had a, you know, fiddled around below 500 for most of the year, got hot the last six weeks, got their way in, and wound up winning the whole thing. So the key is getting in. But as you sit here today and you start playing with your magnet boards and your, your projections, it's about winning a championship. One of the things we always talk about in team building is, you know, you go out and scout. You have your, on the football side, your college scouting staff, you got your pro scouting staff, looking at free agents, looking at college kids. But a lot of times, I think one of the more under um, appreciated elements is knowing your own roster. Yes. How, how much time do you guys spend on that, knowing yourself before you go out and try and, you know, in this acquiring season, try and get better? No, it's huge because, look, the, the, we're all, all 30 of us are guilty of loving our own guys. Mm-hmm. You draft a guy, you sign a guy out of the Dominican when he's 16 or draft a kid out of high school at 18 or out of college at 21, and you fall in love with them initially as part of the reason you drafted them, and you spend the years through the ups and downs as they go through the minor league system, and you get unduly attached to your own guys. Now, every club knows that they're susceptible to over-evaluation, so you try to put as much objective sort of breaks involved. Uh, whether it's using the data to try to put the guys in the right order or just having certain scouts or certain guys in your system uh, on, the, on the staffing side who are charged with giving you the God's honest truth on your guys. Don't worry about where he's drafted. Don't worry about how much money we put in him. Don't worry about what player we gave up in order to acquire him. Those are all the biases that may affect me or someone sitting in the, you know, Kenny Williams or someone involved in the GM decisions. But in the end, you've got to try to strip it all down and remove the biases and be as objective as you can be about your own guys. Uh, you know, we talk about wanting to have an objective reason to believe in the upside. Uh, you certainly are more inclined to give your own guys the benefit of the doubt when you know them and you know the makeup. Uh, but even when we're talking to our pro scouts, the guys assigned with evaluating other organizations, it's get to know the makeup, get to know what make these guys tick and give us a reason to understand why you think he's going to hit that upside. So it's funny because I hear you talking about uh, what makes them tick. In football, we always talk about uh, looking at the player on the field, but then it's the football character. Mm -hmm. So in baseball terms, what does baseball character consist of? You know what? We're looking for guys. I think when you talk about a guy's quality makeup, you talk about a guy who uh, is a winner. You're talking about a guy who has faced adversity and able to overcome it. As you know, baseball is a humbling, humbling game. The best hitters in the world fail close to seven out of 10 times. Uh, Pitchers are going to have their limited amount of outings. And if something goes bad in one of them, their numbers may look poor for an extended period of time. So it's those guys that have the ability to pull themselves out of adversity, to remain focused on the next at bat, to be able to block out what's happened in the past and focus on putting themselves in a position to improve. And the secondary part of that is almost sort of that honest desire to win and improve themselves and be part of a winning atmosphere and a winning team. A, a guy who, you know, team loses six to four, but has four hits and is, is not upset by the loss. Mm-hmm. is not the kind of guy you want in your clubhouse. Yes. You want the guy who 
you know, even if he went over four, if the team won, he found a way to contribute in a positive way, even if it's just, you know, pulling through for rooting for the guys in the, in the dugout. Uh, there's so many different ways that character is going to, in the end, affect you. It's no different from football, but when we look at our schedule of being over seven and a half months together, there's only so much room you can have for guys who aren't pulling the same direction. And, and we do the best we can to try to put as talented as a team together as we can, but in the end, have the right combination of makeup that's going to be able to get us through that slog and maximize the ability of everyone in that room. As football guys, I'm curious, has there been a player, you know, I know there's a lot of guys that played both sports, but has there been a, a player, a specific player you can recall that you think would have been an unbelievable baseball player that that went the football route? Oh, geez. Oh, geez. See, our experience has been a little bit more with the guys who played both sports and then wound up in baseball. Yep. I mean, we had, you know, I, I just, I'm actually midway through the new Bo Jackson book. Nice. You know, talk about, mm, there you go. Doing right to the pinnacle of multi-sport guys when oh, you're talking yeah. about Bo. Uh and so much of that that I've read so far, and obviously Bo was part of the White Sox family, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to spend a little time with him. Uh, had another multi-sport guy, I think, that played for the White Sox for a minute, too, in the minor league levels, that I think was a pretty good athlete, basketball player. What was his name again? Michael Jordan? Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> guy. That yeah. guy. Yeah, he was pretty good, yeah, too. He was a multi-sport guy. That's, a, that's, by the way, that's incredible, though. You think about the, maybe the two greatest athletes yep. of a century both were in both that organization roots how Love about it. that it's outstanding it's outstanding it's a, it is it is such a a unique thing but in, in thinking about um that because a lot of kids get confused because we're advocates of football players playing multiple sports in baseball are you guys also advocates for young people doing more than just playing baseball all the time 100 percent across the board i mean i got two boys my neither of them are going to wind up playing professionally but wanted them playing multiple sports growing up as well but when you're talking about a, pers a pro prospect we think there's huge benefits, not just to your body, not just to learning how to be a good teammate in different environments, uh, but in terms of you accessing that athleticism in different ways. You know, fundamentally, like all baseball activity, you know, happens from the core and having good balance is a key to success. Having explosiveness is a key to success. Being able to access that in different ways, whether it's track, basketball, football, uh, and being in those different types of clubhouse, we think helps round out the athlete in a stronger way and the character of the individual in a stronger way. One of the more stressful times for, for a football scout is that first uh, mini camp after the draft. We get the guys in and I, we've we've joked about it because we've all been there and had the first round. And you go, oh, no, this is not drafted good. this guy. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. And then but then you'll see the seventh round guy like this guy. What a steal. Yep. Him get. The first time you get a chance to get your your arms around a draft class. Mm -hmm. And I guess it would be in. in Arizona with that where would yeah, you it, see them towards we'll have a mini camp soon after the draft get everyone sorted together and then we'll get them out to the rookie their a ball or rookie league affiliate but I mean is there is there a difference I mean I would imagine and sometimes you've you maybe he hasn't played in a little while and he comes in and you don't you don't really know what you're yeah. going to get until you see him there. I mean and see that's the key because fortunately we have strong enough communication between player development and amateur scouting that all the guys on the player development staff know why a guy was drafted that first meeting when they're ever getting we're all getting together say at the spring training complex in arizona representatives of amateur scouting will be there to explain what we saw on this guy why we think he can get better and as you alluded to he hasn't played in six weeks yeah. or he's coming off an injury or he's already hit, thrown the most innings of his entire life so let's have a plan for the next few months to sort of ease him in the pro ball we really really do the best we can 
not to forge any opinions in that first. It's hard season. though, isn't it? Oh, it's tough. <laughs> There's always that tension where you want the guy to show. Yeah. Shoot, we sometimes we'd have guys come to Chicago for their signing. You know, just a dog and pony show for the media. Yeah. And you get the guy take a you take batting practice with the team. And you're sitting there back oh, there like, man, I hope he goes yard here. I hope, I hope he, I hope he goes yard. Don't, don't, don't hit the top of the cage. Don't hit the top of the cage. That is so funny. Um, I heard you talk about your player development piece. Mm-hmm. And so much of football is not only talent acquisition, but player development. How in concert or how connected are you guys when it comes to, hey, this guy needs to work on these things to give him an opportunity to play at the next level? You know, our Chris Getz, who's our assistant GM and runs player development for us, uh, he and his staff have an individual development plan for each and every player. And the, the origins of that will come from amateur scouting or perhaps from pro scouting, if it's via trade, about who this player is, what we think he's capable of doing, and how he needs to get better. And then Chris and his staff, whether it's the hitting coordinator, the pitching coordinator, or the individual field staff at each affiliate, will come with a plan of how we're going to execute it. And obviously, there'll be you know biometric evaluation as part of that, as well as statistical performance part of that. But a lot of it is sitting down face to face with the player and saying, hey, we think you're capable of doing X, Y, Z. Here's how we're going to get you there. What do you think? And trying to get that buy in. So wow. it's, it's really and, you know, we have 180 minor league players domestically under control. So it's really a, a pretty elaborate process, some of which happens in spring, some midway through the season and then some at the end of the season in terms of charting a guy's individual path and how to maximize his ability. A phrase, you know, there's so many phrases that get thrown around in scouting. But one of the ones in baseball I've always been interested in is you say they've got a good clubhouse. What, how, how would you define what a good clubhouse is? Being a good teammate is, I think, fundamentally comes down to having the right priorities and being selfless. I mean, it's really about doing everything in your power to help this unit win and not worry about the individual accolades, whether that's with, you know, nobody out man on second hitting behind a runner just to advance them, even though you're going over one with the ground out in that situation, uh, guys on third and, you know, trying to get them in and get another guy over without, you know, trying to swing for the fences to get yourself that home run. And again, it's, it's a matter of we're dealing with a seven and a half month plus season here. You know, ideally even longer than that when you win a championship, you got to have the right guys who are all pulling the same direction in that group together. Oh, this has been fun. I, I could do this for so long. We appreciate your time so much. Best of luck. Again, I I, I kind of laugh because it's like, everybody, hurry up and do nothing. It almost like <laughs> a little bit of that, vi- that vibe in here. But you guys have been talking to each other, and you're going to continue to talk to each other. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Appreciate right. it, Rick. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Buck. Again, I, I think this is continuing to prove our point about multi-sport athletes and Man, I hope that doesn't go away. Uh, something that we are big advocates of, and it seems like everybody we talk to that's running these teams in other sports feels the same way. Yeah, it's really important, man. Not only do you develop uh, different skills, you get different coaching, uh, but for us, it has it gives us an opportunity to really see you in a different environment competing. And so it's so good for so many different reasons, but from an evaluation standpoint, it allows us to see you in a, in a, in a different environment playing a sport that is not the sport that you're playing in, but we get a chance to see how competitive you are. And we also get a chance to gauge your overall athleticism. And the other point that uh, I thought was excellent talking about in baseball, guys have over fours. How do you react to that? How do you deal with adversity? Adversity may be a bigger uh, uh, factor in baseball than any other sport because it is a sport of failure, but football is no different. And we want to see how guys respond and react to it. An interception as a quarterback, a missed tackle as, as, as a corner. I mean, there's different areas of failure you're going to have within the game. 
Uh, and within a season, you have a terrible game. How do you come back and, and respond to it the next week? How do you prepare and practice to help overcome uh, some of your feelings? I think that's a great lesson to learn. I, I think that's something we can take away. Uh, it's definitely uh, a key part of the evaluation, Buck. Yeah, the bounce back. You know, I mean, we talked about it. How do you respond to these poor plays? How do you respond to poor seasons and all that? What is the what are your guts like? Do you have the grit that everyone is looking for, looking for from their top players? And so this gives us a chance to do it in other sports. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to get to MLB Network's Harold Reynolds and Tom Verducci. I think you're going to enjoy these conversations right after the break. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's gonna guard. And then on I'm top of that, like that, see that, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to point game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. T-I-K-A dot com. All right, Buck, let's jump right into it. One of our favorites. We've had him on before. Uh, always a, a great time when we catch up 
with one of the best analysts of any sport. Uh, I think he's got a, a, a whole bookshelf full of Emmys uh, from the work that he's done. But a, a really, really fun to catch up with our buddy, Harold Reynolds. All right, Buck. So excited to have Harold Reynolds with us. Yeah. One of, not only just one of the best baseball analysts, one of the best analysts, period, and some we love visiting with. Yeah. Uh, Harold, thanks for your time, man. First of all, do you, do you get any offseason? I feel like one baseball season no. ends and the next one is already beginning. The, the offseason is actually busier than the regular season. At least I got a schedule. Okay, here's when I'm going to show up. Now you get somebody signs, get down to the lobby. You know, you got <laughs> winter meetings. You, you're constantly getting calls. You guys know how that is. Yeah. But that's sports. Every sport now, it's all year round. Con- constantly busy. Con- constantly busy. And so much intrigue. Like, I'm just so fascinated by the way the game is going. I grew up in a time where baseball was it's about stealing bases. Mm-hmm. It was exciting. It's that. And now I feel like we're in the big bopper era. Everyone knows the bases. They big home runs. How hard is it for you to wish for yesteryear while watching the way the game is played now? Uh, it's been frustrating, to be honest with you. I mean, when you're playing with half the field, you know, I know this is football. So imagine mm-hmm. Tom Brady walking to the line and going, ah, nobody's over there on defense, but I'm going <laughs> to throw over here to everybody. That's what we've done with the shift. Hitters won't hit the ball the other way. We're not manufacturing runs. So that's why you saw this wave of new rules come in where you had now you have two guys to be designated on each side of the field in the infield, take away the shift rule. And so they can't overload a side. So I think that's going to create more offense. It's going to create more athletes in the middle of the diamond and speed the game up. Also have a pitch clock. You know, like you see with football, quarterback sitting there looking at the, I got to get this playoff. That's what's going to happen now with the pitch. So I think that's going to speed it up and move it back to kind of where we used to be, where it's hit it where they ain't, you know, was the phrase. And now we've got away from that. I, I love what you talk about, too, about the athleticism coming mm-hmm. back. And that's one of the things that makes it more enjoyable to watch. But also, we always are talking about, we talked about it with you before, about multi-sport athletes. Right. These kids not just focusing on one sport and becoming so skilled, but be, become an overall athlete and an overall competitor. I feel like maybe some of these rule changes, we get back to that a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. I, I think if you, you look at all the different skills that come in with all the different sports, whether it's basketball and you're doing a no-look pass, you know, or, or football catching something over your shoulder. All those come into play in a baseball game. Mm-hmm. And what's happened is we have so streamlined kids today. You know, we're making a decision, 11 years old, 12 years old, here's your sport. How do you know they're not going to be 6'3"? How do you know they're not going <laughs> to end up at 5'8"? Yeah. You know, so I, I think by allowing them to play as many sports as they can, be more well-rounded. Also, from a health standpoint, you're resting those body parts that are being worn out constantly over and over and over. So I, I always encourage well-rounded athletes. I grew up that way. I'm the youngest of eight. I got four brothers. We all, we all did that. My sisters too. And then my kids are doing the same thing, you know? So I like the well-rounded athlete. You know, I've heard you advocate for youth sports and kids and more athletes in youth sports. What's another nugget that you would give a parent who has kids who are in baseball? What would you tell them? Let them play. You know, you're not the coach. I mean, it's unbelievable what we've done. We don't know who's going to be the next A-Rod. We think we do. They act like a true story. I'll just throw this in here real quick. So you remember during COVID, we all had masks. Yeah. So I get asked to help out on my my son's uh, Little League team. So I'm wearing a mask. I'm coaching third. And these parents on the other team were so bad. I felt like I was undercover boss. <laughs> Finally, I had to whip my mask off and go, time out. Yeah. And they're like, Harold Reynolds. I said, hey, listen, 
you guys are yelling at the kids. This kid's coming in, slamming his back. I pulled both teams together and parents and said, this is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, 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 you're creating the monster of this kid. Let them go out and enjoy the experience. And I think that's why soccer's caught on so much. Because when I go to my kid's soccer game and they used to play soccer, nobody's yelling, right foot, left foot, right. They don't have time. Yeah. You're letting them react and play. I go to a baseball game, get your elbow up, get your hands back, don't swing, do this. Five, seven, three. I'm like, what are we doing? Let the kids play. Hard, you know, man. it's tough. That's incredible, man. How, how have you seen the uh, evaluation process change? Mm. Maybe from when you were coming yeah. up. To where it is now. We talked to we talked to AJ Pro a few minutes ago about the technology, how that's right. kind of changed things. But how have you seen it change? Oh, it's definitely uh, through the technology, mm -hmm. no doubt. And I think that's why we've had a disparity of African American kids playing baseball. And I shouldn't even limit it to that. I should limit it to an economic situation, because if you're able to economically send your kids to the higher level stuff, they get all the data. You know, your bat speed, your exit velocities, your spin rates, all these things that colleges have now gone to. And that's what the pros are going to. And now I even see it at you know, Little League. I threw that one 55. What was my swing? You know, and, and kids understand that the data is what coaches are now looking at. It's not the skill. It's not the this kid's going to grow in to be that. So that's been the biggest change where you can sit here and project. True story again. I got a million stories. I I'll, love it. I'll I love back it. it up with this one. So I'm 19 years old, Daryl Strawberry, Darnell Coles, who's now the hitting coach for the Nationals, and he played like 15 years in big leagues. So Darnell's number three pick in the country. Strawberry's number one. I go in the secondary phase of the draft, and I'm a first-round pick. So we're all playing on this co-op team, the Mets and the Mariners. Daryl Strawberry strikes out every at-bat. I mean, 15, 20 ABs doesn't foul the ball off. <laughs> and we're playing pool after the games, hanging out, and we're like, straw. He had a chance to go play basketball at Louisville for Denny Crum back in the day. Yeah. We're like, you need to take that basketball. <laughs> call, call Denny, man. This ain't going to work out, you know? <laughs> but eventually, you know, then we're in double A ball, and we're sitting there, and Darnell and our roommates were in double A. And next thing you know, and the Mets have called up Daryl Strawberry, and we went, what? <laughs> He couldn't hit two years ago. But because somebody saw him said, 6'4", bat speed, he's going to grow into this. Here's what we think he'll be. But if it was about data, Daryl Strawberry doesn't get drafted today. Wow. Doesn't yeah. happen. You know, so I think we got to have a blend of the two. The, the, the information, the data tells you what somebody is doing or what they could be. But you still have to have that eye test to say, here's where you're going to get to. Okay, so let's talk about like managing because the game has changed so much. Mm -hmm. it, it feels like so much of it is operated behind closed doors. We don't know what's going on. Pictures are coming out. They seem like they're hot, but they're not. And so what is the role of the manager in today's game? Well, it, it's a, a slippery slope. You're going to get me in trouble here. <laughs> um, it depends on the manager. It really depends on like Buck Showalter has a little bit more leeway than Skip Schumacher is going to have in Miami. Mm -hmm. um, you are now getting lineups, text to players in the morning. And that's coming down from front offices. Here's what the, here's what the lineup's going to be. And as the games go on, you know, for a number of years, the Dodgers have been in the World Series. You're like, what is Dave Roberts doing? Mm -hmm. What's he thinking about? The guy's got a no-hitter in the third inning, you know, and they took him out. And because it's all calculated out, here's what we're going to do. And he takes the heat. But it's really a collective group behind him picking it out. 
So it really comes down to the manager. I'm sure Terry Francona gets to do a little bit more what he wants to do. You'll see Bruce Bochy get a chance to do that now. But for the most part, it is front office driven. They're making the decision. They scripted the game out. And that's that's how it's going to be. How would you start with <laughs> Bill? It's crazy, man. I, it's, it's absolutely amazing. crazy to me. I, I just thinking, I'm just thinking back to our football coaches, and then somebody else telling him like, "No, he's he's coming out of the game. <laughs> yeah, he just ran play. four outs in a row. We're gonna get him out. We're gonna get him fresh." Like, no, this is not, not in a million years. I, I mean, you, you take it to as far as load management too. Yeah, you know, it, it was funny. I was, I won't even go into the name of the player, but he got on a hot streak. Right, he's mm. swinging the bat. He's on the bases every night, and they sit him on the bench. Like, what's going on? Yeah. He's overworked. Well, he's hot right now. <laughs> ride that thing you, as you long as you can, it. man. So we, it, it's it's really coming to a lot of the thinking. And, and when you get to the postseason, I think it shows out a lot because that's where the most attention is. But uh, teams that still do a great job of mixing and blending, you'll, you see a difference. You clearly see a difference. One of the theories I, I wanted to ask you about this, because we've talked about this a bunch. When we think of leaders in football – the closer you get to the middle of the field is where your leaders are. If you really think you get quarterback, center, yeah. middle linebacker, safety, they're the communication Good positions. Like they're the leadership positions in baseball. Is it the same with catchers, middle infielders, center fielders, or is it not, not the correlation there? Um, it used to be, it's still some it depends on like, you know, if there's a ball in the gap relay type stuff, but when it comes to pitches, you know, they use what they call pitch calm now yeah. where you see that little gadget or on the sleeve or something like that. So the beauty of Pitchcom is the catcher, they can't get signals from the bench. Mm -hmm. The bench cannot. It's illegal for them to say, hey, you can just throw a fastball here, a curveball, whatever. Mm -hmm. Catcher's got to call the game. Mm -hmm. But the guys who have the, the earpiece, so to speak, are the guys up in the middle. So okay. you've got the pitcher who's obviously going to make a decision on what he wants to throw. Catcher's suggesting it. And the middle infielders can hear it on theirs. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. And And – it could be a guy from Japan. It's in Japanese. And it could be oh, from that's cool. Venezuela. It's in Spanish. You wow. know? So it's it's according to what you want to do. So they set the settings for the individuals like that. Wow. That's yeah. unbelievable. So it's, it's funny. I had an old defensive coordinator. You talk about being up the middle. Dick Geron, who said your championship teams in every sport are always strong down the middle. So in football, we talked about those things. In baseball, he would always talk about your shortstop and second baseman, your center fielder, your catcher, your pitcher. They have to be your dues. Right. Does that still exist or is the game changed? No, the game's going to tell you true. It's going to be a truism, no doubt, uh, because the ball, the game's played up that middle. And the teams that don't value that, they don't win. You know, and eventually it's going to get shown out, so to speak, uh, over time. So, yeah, you, it's still very much a truism in sports. Up the middle is going to be there. They're going to handle the ball. They're going to make decisions. And if not, it will show you up. You know, there's a saying in baseball, the ball's going to find you. And sure enough, it does, whether it's Little League, you know, that one guy like, oh, no, don't do it to him. Oh, I've seen that. I've seen that. You can't hide. You cannot hide. The ball will find you. That's 100% the truth, man. Uh, one of the things in scouting that changed from when we first began with, with the technology that we, we really loved was just the ease of being able to acquire video. Yeah. In your role as an analyst, and you've been doing this for a while now. Yeah. How much more convenient is it to say, I want to see every three, two pitch? Of, oh, you know, yeah. I mean, you could sort it any way you want to sort it and you just get it just like That's that. That's the biggest change in, in the sport. And yeah, as an analyst, it's beautiful mm -hmm. to be able to go, you know, before it'd be like, you're cranking something, you're <laughs> logging through. You don't have that yet. You yeah. know, and they, they got everything at their fingertips, whatever you ask for. Mm -hmm. So it's changed. And I, I think the biggest change, though, is when I was a player, video was coming in. Tony Gwynn was known for using video and all that. 
True story. I am off to a hot streak. Beginning of the year, I'm hitting like 400 through April. We're heading into May. I'm raking. I'm killing everything. And I see myself on the news and I'm holding my hands like this. And I thought, I thought my hands were higher. Next thing you know, I'm like, because <laughs> I started looking at I couldn't do video. Yeah. The guys today, every at bat, every situation, they grow up on looking at themselves and they grow up on the computer and they're able to pull up all this information. It's a different breed of player. Yeah. If you can master it, great. I don't think I could ever master it. I was more of a feel guy. Mm -hmm. I know once I looked and saw what I looked like, I'm like, that ain't what I feel like. <laughs> and that was the end of that. So funny because I, then my follow-up was going to be paralysis by analysis. When is it too much for the player? When is it too much information where the game is still very instinctual? When, yeah. when do you turn all of the thinking off and allow yourself just to play? Have you seen it? By the way, have you follow up that. Have you seen a player get ruined by it? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's guys that have been ruined by it, and there's guys that have benefited from it as well. It's an individual thing. It really is. Um, but I think what when a lot of the, the information came in in baseball, I think our sport's unique because it stops, right? You have pauses in between, and after you have an at-bat, you're sitting there for 30 minutes and figuring out what you did, and you can really overthink everything. But So when all this information started coming in, it was like, wow, information, this is great. But it was an overload. So I think now after, you know, 10 years, 15 years of this really being deep and continually uh, figuring it out, they're realizing this guy can't handle anything. Yeah. This guy, I'm telling, you know, so that's uh, that's the difference. It really comes down to that individual. Oh, I could do this for hours, man. Harold, you are the absolute best. We appreciate nice, your time. Man. Where can where can everybody that's that's following us? follow you to be able to keep up what's going on yeah. MLB Network. You got to look at me on MLB Network because I'm probably the only person in the country that has no social media. Oh, there you oh, go. That, that's wow. perfect. I am so jealous that? of you, by the way. I am. I would do that in a heartbeat if they let me. I am so jealous of you. <laughs> Harold, you're the best, man. Thanks Thank for you, your fellas. time. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, Buck. Thank Thanks, you. man. Alright. I think that was an interesting conversation, uh, Buck, when you, you think about you know, how that works with a manager's role in today's game. It's different. And I think that's also, you know, in the NFL, there's there's certain coaches that have different responsibilities and how that's divvied up amongst the coaching staff. So I think it was a fun conversation there with Harold. Yeah, it was a fun conversation. And we're seeing some of that. Uh, we're seeing some of the compartmentalization of the game in football. I mean, even you can talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and how they blend into analytics with the coaching and all of those things to make decisions that are best for the team. Uh, it's going to continue to infiltrate the league in terms of trying to take all the information to give your team the best opportunity to win each and every weekend. All right, let's get to our, our next chat here. Uh, this is one of the really one of the smartest analyst reporters that you'll ever come across. He does unbelievable work. Another one who's got a, uh, a trophy case full of, of uh, rewards for his incredible work and somebody we've chatted with in the past and always enjoy catching up with MLB Network's Tom Verducci. All right, Buck, excited to have Tom Verducci with us. Tom, we were just talking before we came on here. 41 years you've been covering this sport. I mean, it, and you mentioned some of those fascinating. I want to start off there about how much change has taken place just in the last few years in the sport. Yeah, it's amazing. I think it changed more in the last five, six years than my first 30-something years, and I think technology is a big reason why. We know so much more about the game, the way the game is taught, the way the game is played, the strategy of the game. A lot of it now is being dictated by analytics and technology, which is a great thing but it changes the game so quickly. Um, and the other changes have not been great because let's face it, the game has been too slow, but next year that's going to change with a pitch clock. And I know a lot of old timers will say, well, the best thing about baseball is no clock. 
Well, that was true, and the game took two and a half hours. <laughs> but when it's four hours, we need to move the darn thing along. So I'm looking forward to next year. Uh, so it's funny. So coming from the football world, analytics has a bit of a negative tint. Uh, you have fans who are upset at coaches who are making decisions based on analytics. But you've seen in baseball, analytical data has been a huge part of the game. So why should football fans not fear analytics and the use of data to help make decisions? Well, I wish I could say they shouldn't, but I think they should based on the baseball <laughs> example because it's great, but I think it, it becomes a problem when you rely too much on it. It's still about players. It's still about the heartbeat of the game and the human element of the game. That's why we watch sports. We can break down the percentages as much as we can, what the third long situation is, your conversion rates. It still comes down to people. And if I'm watching a baseball game or a football game, I want to know about the players, who they are, how they do what they do, more so than the math involved in it. So I don't want analytics to dictate how games are played. I want that to be a compliment. That's the side dish. That's not the steak. That's the potatoes. So I think I would be fearful. I've seen it happen in baseball where they went too far with analytics. That's why the game slowed down. There was too much analytics in the game, and baseball is now trying to get the game back in the hands of the people in the uniform, uh, especially the players. One thing I love visiting with you about is just the, the scouting background, this, how it's, there's a lot of similarities in football and baseball, and then there's some differences. But one thing, a phrase that I hear in both sports, talk about a, a football player having this is a championship player. And in baseball, I hear that term thrown around. When you talk to players and, and managers, what does that mean for a baseball player? You say, this is a championship player. Yeah, that means something that can't be measured analytically. It gets yeah. back to what we were talking about where, you know, I love the analytics, but to find guys like that, you have to look beyond the numbers. I'll, I'll give you a great example. Jason Hayward with the Chicago Cubs. You know, he was signed because he was young at the time, 26. The defensive metrics were great. A lot of the analytics gave him 180 plus million dollars. But his biggest moment was 2016 World Series Game 7 when that team was on the verge of blowing Game 7 to Cleveland. And during the rain delay, he brought his team together for a meeting. And basically, it was the baseball version of Newt Rockney. <laughs> like, guys, we're not losing this game. We're going to go out there and win this one, if not for the Gipper, for ourselves. Because we know we're the better team. Think about that. This was a guy who spent the first three games of that series on the bench against right-handed pitching. And yet in that crunch moment, game seven, eighth inning, ninth inning, he thought about the team. Now, how do you measure that, right? Mm -hmm. it, it came from somewhere with Jason Hayward growing up to understand that the whole is bigger than the individual. Uh, so those guys are super important. I'll give you another one. Same team, Anthony Rizzo, just re-signed with the New York Yankees as a free agent. He can hit home runs, a good defender, but he gives you that extra element that if I'm putting a team together, I better pay attention to some of that. How's that guy going to fold into my group? Because it still is a team sport. You know, the thing about it being a team sport, I, I worry about managers because I wonder what does the manager do when you hear so much about the lineup cards and all this stuff being dispensed from up top. You wonder what does the manager do? And then I see a guy like Dusty Baker, who appears to be still very old school, win a World Series this year. What is that fine line between a man manager taking decisions from up top but still having the instincts to make decisions in game. Yeah, that's one of the biggest changes I've seen in the game. Just wrote a book with Joe Madden called The Book of Joe, which started out as me thinking about, man, this job has changed, the job of the manager. Because back in the day, and maybe this is still true in football with the head coach, but the manager was the be-all and the end-all. Mm -hmm. He was the epitome of the power. He, told, he decided how, what style you were playing, when guys would play, when they would sit, who was starting, what relief pitching changes to make. Now a lot of that is being dictated by the front office, and you're given essentially a script. And you can go off script during the game, 
But man, if it doesn't work, you gotta you gotta answer to your boss after the game, and I mean immediately after the game. So a lot of managers say, "I'm just gonna stick by the script here." So analytics does dictate a lot of in-game strategy now, which was not the case um, certainly ten years ago, but even farther back. So the job has changed. There's no question about it. But I still think, in some ways, managing is harder because you ha have to answer from above. And you also have to engender the confidence of players. And that's where Dusty Baker, to me, stands alone. He's managed a long time. And everybody who's played for him will tell you he's a player's manager. What does that mean? He understands the game is difficult. He communicates well. He's not going to make decisions entirely on analytics. Will he use them? Absolutely. He's not going to say, hey, I got no use for that. No, but in crunch time, if he sees something, he's going to respond to what he sees. He told me a great story during the World Series. He talked to Bo Schembechler, of course, the great Michigan football coach one time. He's like, Bo, how did you know which guy you could trust to complete that play or make that kick or make that tackle and which guy you weren't sure about? He said, Dusty, I'd look him in the eye. And I, somebody in analytics would say, come on, that's, that's silly. You're looking a guy yeah. in the eye. But there's something about body language, the way a guy carries himself. These guys have been around a long time, whether it's Bo Schembler, Beckler back in the day or Dusty Baker on a baseball field. There's wisdom in addition to knowledge. Knowledge is knowing the numbers. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what you see. I want to follow up on Joe Madden because to me he's one of the more fascinating guys in sports. I know – Jason Light's a good buddy of mine, the general manager of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know they're very close getting to know him down there in Tampa. What, what did you learn in doing that book? I learned he's a guy who never stops learning. He has insatiable thirst to be better, um, has old school tendencies because that's what he grew up with. His probably greatest mentor was Gene Mock going back in the day, the great Angels manager, Phillies manager. But at the same time, as you mentioned, with Tampa Bay, they were at the forefront of installing things like a four-man outfield, defensive shifts, platoons, all these things that came from analytics. And he's trying to now rebalance the game and get back to a little bit of both. Um, but he's a fascinating guy. You know, he talks about going to Lafayette on a football scholarship. He was a quarterback. Joe Namath was his guy growing up in high school. He was a great high school quarterback. Uh, and he's got what he calls that liberal arts education, not so much out of college, although that was true, but in a worldly way, like his world is not limited to baseball. He wants to learn about art, science, all these things he will fold into managing a baseball team. You know, one of the things that's fascinated about him, I've heard him coin the phrase going all the way back to the Cubs, talking about do simple better. Yeah. And I think for so many different coaches in any sport, everyone thinks about complex being the best way, but yet he found uh, a lot of success and simplicity. Why is that? Yeah, and you said that perfectly. We have a tendency to think that if it's more complicated, it must be better. And actually, the opposite is true. So he does rely on that phrase, do simple better. The fundamentals of the game don't kind of crowd your mind with lots of different ideas, whether it's mechanics or approaches. He's a big believer in keeping things simple. And his other famous, probably most famous phrase was try not to suck. Right? <laughs> and like, where did that come from? Well, it came from a time where Javi Baez was called up from the minor leagues. He had been up earlier and really struggled. And Joe called him into his office. Uh, this is obviously with the Cubs back in, I think it was 2015. And uh, he sat down in his office and Javi Baez, like, you know, any advice you got from me, I I'm all ears. He's like, just one thing, try not to suck. <laughs> and what that does, it, it just boils down to a simple him. thing yeah. as a professional athlete. You just go out there and play the game like you're back in Little League. If you think about what's on the line, what the consequences of failure are, chances are you're more likely to fail. If you just go out there, 
try to do the best that you can. Almost like your mom telling you that in Little League or Pee Wee football. It's going to work out better. Again, do simple better. One of the things about the NFL, I think that's helped with the popularity has been the parody and knowing from year to year, there's hope for everybody. Everybody thinks this is going to be the year they get it going. In baseball, it ne- not necessarily has been the case historically. You look at a team this year, though, like the Phillies. I know they spend a bunch of money, but just if you can just get into the tournament, you got a chance to win the whole thing. Do you think that will embolden more teams to say, we just got to build a playoff team once we can get to that point? Anything can happen. I think that's a great point because when I first heard about expanded playoffs, I thought maybe that's a disincentive. Like if you finish in the sixth seed as Philadelphia did, you have to start in a wild card series, all games on the road. You have Mm -hmm. no home games. So you're probably one and done. You're out. But they proved it's more than fool's gold. You you can get to the World Series as the Phillies did. And I think it now is seen as an incentive. And I think it's a different world. Like the old school baseball fan remembers the day when you won your league and you went straight to the World Series. Mm -hmm. That was so long ago. And we're (laughs) in this age now where whether it's the NCAA tournament, it's college football playoffs expanding, it's the NFL playoffs expanding. The more playoff games we have, the happier we are as fans, right? It gives more teams a shot. And if you're the players, you have to be for that, that it does give more teams a chance it's not necessarily the best team is going to win at the end, although I think last year it did happen with Houston. Um, but I like the idea of there's basically anybody can win. It's just get in. 100%. Well, this has been so much fun. I could do this a million more minutes here, Tom. Again, the book, Book of Joe, Joe Madden. Your experience in baseball when with what he's accomplished and how unique he is, I'm looking forward to reading that one. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Interesting chat there, especially the part about analytics. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's definitely something that has become mainstream in football as the years go along. And I think it's something to be embraced, not something to fear. Yeah, no, I think you have to put it with, in, in, in its proper context. You have to understand the numbers and you have to take in that information and then mix it with some knowledge of your sport and put your team in a, in a position where they can win. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely a place for it. It's, it's always been a place for analytics in all of these games. And so baseball, I would say, has been on the forefront of incorporating that into the decisions that are made uh, by the team and the uh, the manager when it comes to putting out your best lineup each and every day. Yeah, I, I loved how he talked about it. it. should still be a compliment to what you're doing. You know, there's still the gut feel. There's still the experience you rely on. But that's a good way to compliment in those decisions. OK, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll visit with MLB Network's Brian Kinney. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think you could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot all right buck i know one thing about brian kenny he is not short on opinions uh he has very (laughs) strong opinions on the game of baseball uh but again somebody that's always fun to chat with because it stirs some interesting debate and discussion so i think you guys uh, will enjoy it here's our visit with brian kenny all right, Buck, excited to have Brian Kenny with us. Brian, thank you so much for taking some time. Um, we, we've had fun here, and we're looking at the differences between the NFL Combine, which we're at each and every year, versus the winter meetings. What Has this changed since you've been covering this sport, and if so, how? Well, it, it, it fluctuates. Um, the whole industry gathers, but there's no reason why deals can only be made here. It's not 1954. You know, it's not like, you know, people can, you, you, there's ways of communicating that you don't have to be in front of someone with a scotch. Uh, so it, it's different. And yet look what happened like on this day where, you know, uh, Justin Verlander signs with the Mets, Trey Turner to the Phillies, mega deal. So maybe there is something, maybe after the pandemic, we learned there is something to face to face, get in one room, hammer out a deal. Uh, you never know how busy it's going to be. You know, I think about how busy it's going to be. What do you think about some of these monster deals when it comes to fitting these big deals into team building, into building a championship squad? That's what I do on my show every day. Um, And I've said this before about a number of players, like I said about Mike Trout, Bryce Harper. Um, Whatever you can pay a single player, you need to pay that guy, right? Like it's the same thing with Trey Turner, power hitting, uh, speedy shortstop. That's that's top of the food chain. Uh, Those are the tools that you want. I have the the specific measurements. Last three years, slug 514. He's uh, in sprint speed. He's number two in the league to Bobby Witt Jr. So, I mean, I mean, literally the fat, the second fastest guy in the entire league. New stolen base rules are coming up next year. So, yeah, you can pay an awful lot, but... 
look, the study of it, and I did this for my book six years ago, the study of it, when you look at, uh, like, what do you want on the free agent market? What you're buying is certainty, right? You have a proven track record. It's not like the draft, which is really hit and miss, as you know, as opposed to football, where you have another four years to see a guy in college. You're getting a guy like out of high school or baseball is more mercurial. It's so hit and miss. Free agent market, you can see exactly what the guy did. And yet, I did a study of all the $100 million deals. Half of them are deals that the team, when they're done, regrets. Wow. Half of them. So that's the truth. So you hear Trey Turner, fantastic player, 11 years. So Trey Turner right now, he's a 30-year-old guy. What you don't see is you're going to be paying a 40-year-old Trey Turner. The 40-year-old Trey Turner is going to look more like us. You know, it's going to be different. No disrespect. You guys look great. But I'm saying it's it's not going to be the same sort of guy. So, yeah, that's the challenge in in, in making deals. All these deals when the guys, you know, and this going back to Reggie Jackson, the suit, and you're at Tavern on the Green and shaking hands with the boss, and everybody's excited. Everybody's always excited when the big signing is done. Half the time you regret that deal later on. So you have to keep that in mind when you're putting together a team. It's not just the cost. It's the opportunity cost of a long-term deal. It's never the money. It's the opportunity cost. One of the lines I love, though, and talking to one of my buddies on a personnel side with baseball is I was talking about free agency and who's going to get this guy, who's going to get that guy. And we're kind of going over what numbers could look like. And he threw out some of the numbers, and I wrote that. I just wrote that. That's insane. And I think he quoted, I think it was Friedman who had said it, but he quoted him and said, yeah, if you want to do a rational deal, you'll finish third in every single one of these races. Well, that that happened with a particular team. Like, they're always finishing second in the free agent market. And I thought, maybe it's good to finish second in the free agent market. Again, whoever wins the winter doesn't win the summer and the fall. It Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily uh, happen that way. Um, So I I always... um, I would rather see my favorite team adhere to a more pragmatic approach. I would, whoever I'm drafting and developing, I would extend immediately. You know, that's where it's at. You know him, you have him. And I always thought it's some of it is psychological. If that player calcifies on your watch in his 30s while you're paying him big money, if you got his 20s, where you basically had the leverage on him and you got him at low cost, whether it's Albert Pujols or Derek mm-hmm. Jeter, if you, which the Cardinals and the Yankees both did, they extended those guys while they were young players. And uh, by the time they became older players, remember the Angels had Pujols, so they thought, wow, all we got was an old guy. Yeah, you didn't get his 20s. Had the Cardinals signed Pujols, you could rationalize it more easily and say, okay, we got an aging, heavy slugger, but we also got that young Lou Gehrig, who was great for us, that we didn't have to pay an awful lot. So I'm a firm believer in whoever you draft and develop, if it's Jeter, if it's Joe Maurer, pay the, the enormous amount to extend that guy. Wander Franco is an example for the Rays now. 21 years old. 10-year deal. I want this guy through, you know, age 32. That's and if that guy doesn't become the player you want, you can you can rationalize that much more easily than buying it on the open market. The Eagles have long had a reputation doing that in the NFL. They've always re-signed guys early and they've got their best years during that time and felt yeah. fine about it. The Braves, a team that we've talked about just looking at other sports, seem like they have, wow. they have mastered this thing on wow. paying these yep. guys early. Right. Now I, I thought the the master stroke was getting Austin Riley because now he was a little older. He had gotten a little closer to free agency. At this point, you almost can't wait that long. Look what's happened to the Red Sox. Xander Bogarts is on the market now. They lost Mookie Betts. Uh, but the Braves, man, is like you can jump in. They didn't do it for Dansby Swanson, but most all of their other players, Ronald Acuna, they actually kind of set the mold for Acuna in that the, the thought was once a guy establishes himself as a superstar, and Acuna did right away, well, you can't sign that guy. Yeah, 
put $100 million in front of him. Hey, guess what? He signed. <laughs> it wasn't long ago. I don't know if you guys remember. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon, Paul yeah. Goldschmidt signed extensions. These guys are the best players in the National League. Signed extensions for $50 million. Now it's gone up to $100 million. And again, it's the money has gone up. And yes, there's inflation and everything else, but it's always as it pertains to the American standard of living. So a hundred million is still a hundred million. You're rich, rich. So it's not even like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fluid. I've got cash. Like a lot of guys in the NFL. Oh, I got cash. That's short term. Hundred million. Nope. Now you're rich. So if you can do that, if you have that leverage because your industry is so flush, take advantage of it and spend the big money. And clubs have done that. So answer me this. Why didn't the Yankees get Aaron Judge done? Ahead of time. Like, why did they allow him to get all the way to the open market? I don't know. He came up late. The thing to have done, looking back, is when he had that rookie year, get him right in the room right away. Um, They didn't do it. Maybe they always think, ah, if he gets the market, we can pay that price. Maybe there was a thinking, uh, because there was this thinking in in, in baseball that he's so tall. Like, tall guys, you know, don't perform that well for that long. I think he was already in the case of, you know, the course of disproving that right in front of your eyes. So, no, the time to get him was right away. Then he's, you know, he missed about 40% of the Yankees games over the next, like, three to five years. So they were just caught in between because, like, his production warranted top-end money, Mike Trout money. He actually performs like Mike Trout, but he's injured so much, you're thinking, if he's injured this much in his 20s, what's his 30s going to look like? So I understand, but yet they're paying the price for that now. Is it going to be harder to hide uh, athletic deficient players now with the shift, with the changes coming. I mean, we were, we were talking earlier um, to a couple guys about when we were growing up, we're mid-40s, early 50s, and we're talking about the Eric Davises, the Daryl Strawberries, the, all the athletes that were in the sport mm. and how the game was played a little bit differently. Now, now are we going to see a little bit more of that speed come back into the game? A little, a little bit, bit, yeah. It's going to be more like what we envisioned uh, with no shift. Again, it's not going to be a dramatic shift, but you won't be able to get as cute and put Mike Moustakas at second base. You yeah. know, you got to go back to putting the little guy at second base. Now, you don't have the <laughs> collisions, but remember when you could have collisions at second base, which I, I, I hate, I'm glad they outlawed it, but it brought that sort of, you know, pirouette to second base and you had to have actually a physically smaller athletic guy do it. It was kind of the texture of the game that, no, you can't just load up and, yeah, it'd be great to have. I want nothing but Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton <laughs> all around the diamond. Sure, but it doesn't work in baseball. And I like that it doesn't work. So yeah. there's a guy 5'5 five, five and Jose Altuve that can thrive. So to answer your question directly, it changed things a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I'm in favor of the intellectual uh, application of, of baseball, you know, intellect. So I'm, you know, I'm down on banning the shift. I think had the shift been around for like at the time they shifted on Ted Williams in the 1940s, had that just developed, we wouldn't have canned it now. But they kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater saying all these strikeouts, all these home runs, the game has slowed down. And that stupid shift, like that's like the, it was just the <laughs> icing on the, and, the, and that stupid shift. We thought that was a base hit and you took it away. And I'm like, I like that. Like they smartly put a guy where the guy hits the ball all the time. But it got lumped in with all the other things that did need to be addressed. And by the way, pitch clock or timer, it's not a clock, it's a yeah. timer. Uh, the timer next year, oh, it's going to. So improve Major League Baseball. So improve it. Well, I'm hoping. I'm that. worried. I'm a Padre fan. I'm worried about Darvish with the uh, pitch clock. I've you been are? To, I've been to a, 
couple of those. Everybody games. can it, adjust. Everybody it takes, can it takes adjust. a little while. It's it, we're six inning. I'm like my sons were there six inning. But we, it's, it's yeah. that <laughs> well, that's, we that's what go. I mean. They used to in the old days. Again, even though you guys are up near my age, but in the old days, a generation before, remember they played games in the middle of the afternoon. Guys could get yes. off work, go see the game, be home for dinner. Wow. It's a two-hour commitment. Baseball should be a two-hour commitment. They play six months, 162 games. If we get back now. I think the pitch timer gets it to two and a half, not two, but fine. Better than four. You know, you're playing yeah. a regular nine inning game and it's this slog. And analytics is a big part of it. Everybody's processing the pitch. The pitcher is processing. What's my sequencing? Hold on. Are they stealing my signs? It's become this, you know, war of attrition. Enough. Play the game. Let's go. So in thinking about that, because analytics have become such a big part of it, I feel like it's marginalized the managers. So how do managers exist in this world where they still have influence on the game? Without all the sway coming from up top. It's still vitally important. You could see the Phillies this year with Rob Thompson. I mean, they made a switch to Rob Thompson. They became a completely different team. So while you're right, the manager is, is not you know the key figure in the front office anymore, he still affects your winning and losing an enormous amount. Um, Dusty Baker is another key to it. Like It doesn't matter. Like if, I might have a little beef with the strategy here and there and taking out pitchers, but on the by and large, everywhere he goes, the atmosphere is conducive to success. That's an enormous difference. So managers still have an enormous... In fact, I think managers right now, that's another cost inefficiency. I would try to locate the best managers managers, I'd have no problem. Like now they kind of get these new managers. They want them for like less than a million a year. Back when Joe Torre was, I think, making five million a year. If I located a manager that I thought would make that much of a difference, I would outbid anybody for him. It's the cost of a backup second baseman. It's five million. You have a three hundred million dollar payroll. You try to keep the, the the money down. I've been an advocate of that, by the way, for front offices too. And the the Dodgers are the team that acted on it. They went and got like five different general managers. Oh wow, he's going to cost. He wants two million dollars. What's two million dollars? We have a three hundred million dollar payroll. <laughs> this is the guy putting together your roster. Yeah. Like and for a manager, it's a guy. Look again. Look what Rob Thompson did. Look what Brian Snitker did. Yeah. These guys have stable, like you know, uh, st- like just they bring a stability to their. Cl- club that brings about this success year to year where the Braves can get down early and they no 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 stick to the process nobody's panicking nobody's yelling everything's good and you see what results I'd pay managers more one of the things in in the NFL every year we have hope everybody comes into the season thinking they're going to be into the postseason I know in baseball in years past that hasn't been the case but it seems to me when you expand the postseason and you see a team like the Phillies who just, I know they spent money, but just get into the tournament mm, and yeah. then you find out what can happen once you get a ticket to that tournament, you can go all the way to the World Series. Do you think that motivates a little bit more? I think it, the it changes the game yeah. quite a bit because it's always, um, and we saw this after the Astros and, and the Cubs did their drastic teardowns and then build back up. You realize, hey, don't go halfway. If you're going to tear it down, tear it down, like complete tear down, build it back up. Once that happened, you had a league that kind of separated like there's you know, oil and you know water. It was like, whoop, we have a haves and the have nots. And it was too much of a divide. Now, if you're looking like if you're a team that says, hey, wait a second, we don't need 93 wins to get into the playoffs because that's really difficult. We need 87. Well, anybody who's in that 75 to 80 range, and there's a lot of clubs like that can say, all we need is to get a little bit better and we get in. Now, I don't think anybody can get in and win, um, but the National League last year it was five versus six. I think if you're in that top six, you probably can win the whole World Series. So, Brian Kenny, not a fan of uh, of some of the rule changes, <laughs> including uh, banning the shift here. I, I, I think 
you know, look, there's there's ways to grow and evolve. And I think that's one thing that the NFL has done. If you look at just even safety mm-hmm. of the players and some of the changes that have been made, everybody thinks that these are going to be tough adjustments for players. They adjust. They're, in baseball, they're going to adjust to the pitch clock. They're going to adjust to the bigger bases. They're going to adjust to the band of the shift. It, it'll be just fine. Yeah, it will be fine because uh, players are adaptable and micro. Uh, they're adaptable. They're flexible. They understand how to play within the rules. And so they understand, OK, here's what I can and here's what I can't do. OK, cool. Let's get it done. And it'll be more so on the managers to understand how to kind of toe the line without going over the line. That'll be the part that I want to see. Well, how far can I go over? How far can I scoot uh, to put myself in a position to make these plays? We'll see some of that stuff, but it should be a lot of fun to watch. Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Again, just a quick break as we head towards the NFL Scouting Combine. I thought you guys would enjoy this as baseball season gets ready to get going here. It was fun to go down there and visit with all those guys. A big shout-out to Nabil and our team uh, for going down there and, and helping us get all these guests doing a wonderful job, uh, as always. So um, we'll be back again. We've got a couple more episodes coming this week. Where we'll jump right back into the football pool here, uh, including Friday, I believe, is my is my yearly conference call, which is a long one. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, if you have your long run, if you do a long run, then that that will be your episode. You're not gonna you're gonna want to listen to that at one and a half speed, Buck. You're not gonna want to listen to that one at the at the regular yeah, speed. A long one. That is a it's long a long one, one. man. Uh, get, get some get some sleep, get some rest. It'll be tough, oh, man. Oh man, I'm looking tired. I can tell you right now. Um, all right, that's uh, that's gonna do it for us today. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. We'll see. You next time right here on Movie Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. 
It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200 k for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com.